All right, it's your birthday. You get to lead us in. Yeah, it's not my birthday yet. It's no, my but birthday, it's in, birthday in 48 hours. It's my birthday. Thanks for bringing up my birthday. You're listening to Deeper Magic. This is Deeper Magic. I am Peter. This is my daughter, Anna. Hey. And, uh, you know, you guys do a pretty good job. Of, I mean, I'm worth celebrating, Anna. And okay. so I'm just, <laughs> I'm wondering, <laughs> I, actually, like kidding aside, I'm really excited for this specific birthday celebration. So we're turning 52. Like 803. I'm not an ent. Okay. 50, <laughs> 52. <laughs> and uh, we're recording the day before Thanksgiving. Yep. And my birthday is the day that after is Thanksgiving. dedication, people. It is indeed. Mm-hmm. And my, my birthday is the day after Thanksgiving. And I'm specifically excited this year because my father, who is just about 80 years old, yeah, uh, it's been maybe twenty five ish years. I want to say since I've been to this specific steakhouse in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Oh, this called Manny's Steakhouse, and he has agreed to take not just me and uh, and Hallie, uh, but to take all five children as mm-hmm. well as my mom and. So nine people heading down to Manny's Steakhouse in an era of inflation. I'm really glad he's paying <laughs> on this. But here's what I'm specifically excited about. Because yeah. I'm, I'm not much of a... I, I do enjoy a really good steak, of course. And, and, yeah. they, and they roll out this lobster cart with live lobster. And I'm allergic to lobster, so I've never had it. But I've heard it's, it's amazing. But I just... Mm-hmm. I genuinely feel... It's fine. Well, It's not like... It's not great. It's not going to ruin your life to miss out on it. Because I, I think maybe what I'd like to do I'm is I'm also chew, not a seafood person person though i've kind of wondered in recent years if i actually have a mild seafood allergy yeah, that i've inherited yeah, yeah. from you because i always feel weird after i have seafood well and i just I, I feel like i should probably at least chew some up and spit it out in the napkin um on friday <laughs> yeah, just to safe. get just to get a on little flavor the <laughs> birthday trip to the er well, it's not EpiPen level mm. allergy but i do really do i, I want to get a not little great, flavor though. but they bring them out live on these carts and it's a little disturbing i feel I really bad idea. for the lobster so yeah i'm sure that really that's the, i'm sure the bread and the appetite all that stuff would be great but what Anything i'm specifically that- looks like what it looked like when it was alive. It's yeah. why I have my it's why I have a problem with calamari as well. Oh uh, yeah. It's yeah. like I can't eat something that looks like what it looked like when it was alive. I'm fine when it's like a, a miniature onion ring version. Like I suddenly the, become a vegetarian. But when it's a miniature on, onion yeah, ring, right? Those like are when it's just like those are fine. They're a little rubberier. No rub, rubberier <laughs> than Rub, rubbery? Yeah, rubbery compared yeah. to an onion ring. But it's when they're all squiddy. When, when they, they have look all the like legs. an octopus yeah, or whatever and I'm like yeah. So, but Sketchy. what I'm specifically looking yeah, forward sorry. to. No, so what, <laughs> what I'm really looking forward to is they have something called the Manny's Brownie. And I'm not oh, sure, gosh. like I have these memories of this from 25 years ago. And I, and I hope that my memory as is, is as clear and representative of the actual situation. It is almost certainly not. Uh, it probably is. But my memory <laughs> of it is that they come out and the Manny's Brownie... It's $21, first of all, which I just, a dessert is that's $21. Is you can get like seven packages of Oreos for that. But we're going to, mm. we're going to do, we're going to do this <laughs> Manny's Brownie. And it's this gigantic chunk of incredibly beautiful, moist brownie cake sort of thing. And, and it's, and it's like the inside. I'm not for brownies. I, do you like the outside brownies with the crust or do you like the inside more cakey brownies? Because uh, I'm much more I... of a cakey brownie guy. I am the person who is super high maintenance, and so I will have like an edge piece, but one that is just on one side, like not yeah. a corner piece. No, the corner piece is because if way it's a corner piece, crust. then it's too crusty. Right. But if it's like an edge piece, then you get a little bit of the crust, but you mostly get like the 
the inside. Yeah, see, because I'm way, way more cakey. Same thing with pizza. By the time I get to the crust and the pizza, unless it's cheese in the crust, it's just not. I can't do it. That I strongly disagree with. Really? Yeah. No, the you, crust on the pizza is the best part. Well, I like the crust when it's underneath the toppings, but when it's just no. all crust at the end of the day. It's it, so good. <laughs> it's like oily, salty bread. Uh, I suppose if I had a dipping sauce to go with that crust, it'd be better. Yeah. But back, So back to the brownie, though. It's all inside. There's no edge to this Manny's brownie. And How then they put possible? gigantic hunks of ice cream on one side and whipped cream on the other side. And then my favorite part, and I really, really hope they still do this, okay. is the waiter or the waitress will get up actually on a stool and they will have a carafe of hot fudge in one hand and a carafe of, of caramel in the other. And they will pour them down from on high as if the heavens That's themselves are raining. Incredible! And the hot fudge and the caramel mix together in the air and pour over the top of the brownie. And by the time you put it in your mouth, I mean, every bite is 6,000 calories. I get it. And, and I, I might but not. But it's worth it. Oh, it's so worth it. So this is my hope because you have none of, of you five children have ha- ever had the Manny's brownie. No, we have not. I don't know. Maybe maybe it's going to be like a fish story where I'm really exaggerating the situation. But I just have such vivid, fond <laughs> memories. I'm looking forward to, to my birthday. We're also going to do a rabbi study on my birthday yeah. with probably about 15 total people. I That'll think. be fun. Uh, rabbi Alan Allman uh, is in town, and we're really hoping that he'll have some time set aside this weekend to podcast with us. So we're going to end this episode with an yeah. invitation into Genesis 1 and 2 and 3, and he does. I love that we haven't specifically talked to him about that yet, I know, but I we're know. like volunteering, we're volunteering him, him to all of you, right. hold He's... him accountable. For Jew- something that he did not agree to. Exactly. And That's okay. As a Jewish rabbi scholar, uh, he will, yeah. you know, hopefully he'll, he'll join us. And I think he's going to hopefully as well um, join uh, your brother Caleb and maybe ask for some uh, opening mm-hmm. horn studies to part of the spinoff episode to Deeper Magic that we're looking at doing. So. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So exciting stuff. But we at should least get under- in the nearish future. Yeah. Right. Right. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Caleb may need to graduate in, in a month um, or so. And then may. Really, yeah. he might need to. He could still he drop out. <laughs> he might need to wait until uh-huh. he graduates. I was going to say, he may life. need to graduate. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, we'll yeah. See where the wind takes us. So, what do we, so you have something about Instagram. That's some social media site, right? Isn't yeah, that how that works? Yeah, we do. Okay. You're atrocious, <laughs> but yes, I do. Um, we do officially have an Instagram now. It's we Deeper do. Magic Podcast. That's um, incredible. Did you set that up? Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. I, I told know. you about it. Yeah. All right. Um, but yeah, it's just Deeper Magic Podcast. We are on Instagram. I don't have a lot of posts up right now but you but posted I'm something to, today i did and i'm hoping to start posting more regularly um what did you I post today more time i posted your definition of the church of the church that we've been yeah with. yeah which yeah, yeah. if you'd like to rattle that off for us real quick well I, but the problem is is that i make it up differently every time every I do single it. time and yeah. so whatever's on instagram now it's set in stone. i can't the do it verbatim to it. instagram there's it's no not way changed it's like you can't change it now. no but i texted it back to you and yeah. when you asked for it so i mean people of god following jesus and yep. dwelt by the spirit i mean just that's like so trinitarian Actually, right i'm gonna pull it up i'm gonna see if i can test you on this okay well, I already failed the Bible test a couple episodes ago. There's no you chance did. I'm going to get this right. I'm a way better Christian than you are. Yes, you are. Well, that's because you failed. No, you failed better than me. I failed better. I failed I, less than you. My favorite, by the way, of that whole uh, that whole Bible exam that we took. Yeah. If, 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 if you're listening to this episode, you have to go back to previous episodes and take <laughs> that Bible exam. I had a really good friend of mine. He was listening to the podcast and he shut it down after three questions and he was yelling at the radio uh, and he called me oh, <laughs> no. to talk about the absurdity of the test. It was Oh, the just, questions were ridiculous. Oh, it was just brilliant. It so, was so fun. So, okay. Okay. So, I've got your definition pulled up. Go for it. Oh, gosh. Here we go. 
people of God, following Jesus, and dwelt by the Spirit to shine the light of his now incoming kingdom into a broken and lost world mm. so that all the imagers can find hope and peace in, in, within their sorrow in this world and also be brought safely home. Is you, that, any, you is were that close? close for a while. <laughs> you were good until now incoming, uh, now incoming kingdom. Yeah, I've got and that part down. This you is said, my definition. How do I not have it down? You said broken and lost instead of broken and dark. Uh, well, um, and then you said hope you're lost and in peace the instead of peace and joy. Well, but they're all part in of the, the midst of, the of their sorrow. And then you missed the ultimately and brought safely uh, home. Yeah. So I'd give you about like seventy percent on that's that test. Okay, that's fair. I'll eh. do better. I'll do better. Yeah. I'll you do got, better. You got week. some of it. So Instagram, where do the, where do people find it? Deeper. Deeper Magic Podcast. And if you can't tell, I feel incredibly awkward about promoting our own stuff. Mm. I hate that. I'm like, Ugh. no, no, no. Yeah, no. That's Not what that's about. But it's I. I will be updating there about whether or not we're posting in a week because I've got finals coming up. We have the holidays happening. So um, we might not have quite as regular a schedule as we have had. Right. But also if you, if anybody has questions or comments or things that they would like to ask us about, the DM should be open at this point. So go ahead and do that and I'll, I'll respond if and when I can. Yeah. I, I wanted to open up a way for people to interact with us. So that it's not just us talking into our microphones in the basement of our house <laughs> and feeling like my grandma and maybe two family friends of ours are listening to this on a regular basis. Yeah, exactly. And and that's the fun part so far is that we really haven't tried to increase the exposure of, of what yeah. we're talking about. And and yet people from ages 11 to 81 are, are texting us and, and yeah. we're hearing messages from here and overseas. And it's just been, it's, we really enjoy hearing that because it helps inform the kinds of things that we want to talk about. And, and we do want Absolutely. to be clear that anything we do by way of putting things on Instagram or possibly just increasing some of the exposure that neither you nor me are at all interested in creating yet another Christian enterprise. That's all the Absolutely stuff that we have not. been talking about Yeah, uh, that is so rubbish where you, you mix vocation with Christianity, you try to have purpose and meaning by getting your name out there and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, this is just simply hopefully going to continue to be a place where people who don't have a lot of places to ask the questions of their faith that they would like to ask or have walked yeah. away from faith or are just are completely rejecting Christianity or just stuff that doesn't get covered in other places yeah, in their lives. So we're, we're excited to see where that goes, but we're not, you know, this isn't going to be a new Christian industry <laughs> where we're going to... Like, comment, and subscribe, guys. Oh, gosh, yeah, please. Yeah, anyways, moving so, right okay, along Okay, so what's our topic that? for today? Because we, we're going to end today by an invitation, like we're I said, in Genesis 1, series, 2, 3. Yeah, which is so, so fun. We're starting a series of episodes. It is indeed. Um, Yeah, mostly, I mean, you and I were talking about this the other day, but we, we've been talking a lot about the institutional church. We've been talking a lot about theology and how it's applied to the way that the institutional church has been run and to some of our ideas about God, all of that. But we haven't talked very much about the actual nature of God or our actual experiences of God. We've kind of had God hovering around the idea of the institutional church or, or being used as like a, what's the word? I'm an English major. I should know this. But like, oh, a juxtaposition against like oh, that's what a big the word. yeah, it's that's one of my a favorite really words. big word juxtaposition. Okay, word of the day. Um, it's basically just a fancy way of saying like contrast. Yeah, right. Um, no, it's fun. I love that word. Um, like juxtapose against the institutional church and and how our ideas of God don't necessarily line up with with what the institution institutional church has taught or like how and why. Mm -hmm. Um. 
Yeah. And so we wanted to talk about the nature of God and specifically in our own experiences kind of outside of an academic theological setting because those things are really, really important. But I have often felt like the emotional or instinctual impressions of God have been at best sort of dismissed or or something to be journaled about. They're for sure unreliable. Um, absolutely unreliable and kind of at worst like frowned upon. Mm-hmm. But that has been so formational to my journey with God. And And I said something to you the other day that I was like, I love theology. I think it's really interesting. And, and I understand that this isn't the case for everyone. And I know people who absolutely find God through theology, through the academic intellectual engaging with these topics. But I, I could talk about theology till I'm blue in the face and, and not feel a thing. And it's been so hard for me to grow up in a church setting, in a church environment where the intellectual and the logical is the really the only thing that's valued because then I didn't have any framework for how to understand God. Yeah. Well, I think you've said that well. And I, I would say one of the more common sort of cliche, but, but representative, I think of people's circumstances often in the church environments that I've been in over these last, well, let's see, I'm turning 52. So, mm-hmm. uh, probably, <clears throat> 42 years of pretty keen, vivid lived experience in the church. And I have, you know, the the 10 years prior to that certainly have quite a few memories as well from a different kind of angle. But I would say one of the cliches or one of the things that people have said across Christendom in a variety of environments that, that are in the kind of situations in which you describe where the theological and the intellectual is prioritized is they say something along the lines of, you know, I know God in my head meaning that they can communicate a statement or two or six or 12 about what they think is orthodox or right or true about God. Mm -hmm. But they say that, but I don't feel it in my heart. And and there's the, there's these 18 inches is a pretty famous saying that some pastors will say, but people will say there's 18 inches between my head and my heart. And there's a humongous disconnect between the two. And yet I think we have lived in this environment as you have described where somehow the theological inquiry about God is what's considered to be reliable. And yet the experiential relational reality of God in our lives is seen as kind of professor Trelawney like in Harry Potter and, and unreliable. And, Oh, you're one of those junior varsity Christians. You know, you, Mm -hmm. you're not able to describe God from sort of a language of systematic theology. And and, well, and theology has its place. And throughout this episode, For we'll sure. talk about what that place is. This is not to dismiss theology, but I think what the invitation actually here is from Scripture is really to turn that model completely 180 or upside down. We are not yeah. meant to start biblically with our ideas about God. Uh, and we're going to do a passage, a famous passage, actually, for many people, be still and know that I'm God. We'll talk about yeah, that in yeah. just a second. But I think when we start talking about things like, so who is God? Immediately in Western theological ideas and seminaries and churches, it's almost always, so can I name the attributes of God? Can I, can I say what his, what his characters are? Can I quote some Bible verses? Can I say something from a creed or a confession or something on those lines? But, but us flipping this 180 is not an attempt to make some sort of mushy relationship <laughs> with God, you know, yeah. of the experience. It really is actually 
uh, dare we read the Bible ever and, <laughs> and actually think about what's what's really there and not yeah. just think about it with this passing wink and a nod like we talk about. Mm-hmm. But what if our life with God and with one another is meant actually to have the priority be our lived experience, however mysterious, but right. our lived experience relationship with God. What if that was not secondary? What if that was the primary invitation of scripture? Yeah. And it, and it's interesting because we were talking about this in my Christianity and Western culture class the other day, um, which as much as, as my classes at university sometimes just drive me up the wall, like <laughs> it, it's actually a really interesting class. And there are things that I have learned from it where all of a sudden I'm like, oh, that's right. History wasn't a bunch of like disconnected things, um, (laughs) which I feel like is often how it's totally. totally. But the the whole point of this course is them being able to be like, okay, so this idea connects to this idea, which led to this idea, which is why we are where we are today. And I was like, oh, suddenly the reason why I'm learning this makes sense because it's not just somebody throwing names and dates at me, even though there is a lot of that. It, it is like about the conceptual stuff, which is where I thrive. And there's almost inevitably these points in history, as we've talked about, yeah. where people's ideas about God shifted massively Absolutely. because usually some dude uh, in, in past theological history made some, some claim dude. about God. Yep. And then a bunch of other people started experiencing God. And it's part of what we'll talk about, too, is that if you think you are some sinner in the hands of an angry God, according to Jonathan Edwards, right. your experience of God is probably primarily going to be fear and you're not going to want to approach God and all of that. <laughs> yeah. I remember I was teaching in a class one day and we were talking about some of these things. Yeah. In the institution where I was teaching, I just, uh, I was talking about Jonathan Edwards, sinners in the hands of oh, God. I know this story. Yeah. I love this story. And, and I just turned around and kind of casually flipped aside. I said, well, I mean, but really, uh, Edwards had rubbish theology. And it was one of those awkward moments where all the oxygen got sucked out of the room. And I thought, oh, no, what did I just step in? Some big pile of smelly something something Uh I just stepped knee deep into. And I turned around and I looked at the students. I said, what? What what did I say? And they said, well, right now at our institution, the philosophy and theology of Jonathan Edwards is the most popular class. Which is hysterical. (laughs) And so I just started claiming academic freedom and moved on from there. But for sure. But again, if we're going to talk about who God is, um, how we think about God matters, but but it only matters insofar as it helps inform our ongoing relational life with God. Yeah. And and even theology aside, because um, part, part of what we were learning in CWC that I was like, oh, I'd never made the connection between this event and this way of modern church thinking Yeah, is we were talking about the turning point of Galileo and Copernicus, and there was a third one, but I don't remember Plato, who he is. Aristotle. Mm, nope, that was so much, so much longer. <laughs> I don't before that. know. Yeah, I mean, they're not. Um, so, so much further. I don't know who these people are. I genuinely don't. But we were talking about how Kepler wasn't he a scientist? Kepler is that the guy? Kepler. Oh my gosh! All yeah, right. how they were like the Earth isn't the center of the universe. Oh, and yeah. the church was like, no, it totally is, and the Bible says so because God created us to be the center of the universe. And they were like, actually, you're wrong, and we can prove it. And then they did, and then the church killed them all. Um, but <laughs> that's such a beautiful response, me. isn't it? When when oh, when, yeah. when power so gets threatened, that you can and do a few like, things. Mm. Yeah, you can do a few. But <laughs> most of, most often, it, like kidding aside, and yeah, when I have run real. into institutional church power at the time, so often I am sort of a pawn being used from my perceived talents and abilities. Oh, yeah. in the, and by perceived, You have reached the end of your useful. Oh, but yeah, as soon as you decide to question something in within the power structures that are, it is amazing how mm-hmm. you can get Christian fired just like that, where it's, oh, it's, sure. it's done through, 
you know, we still love you and blah, 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 and oh, blah, yeah. blah, blah. But, you know, <laughs> we're just going to do X, Y, Z. And I was talking yeah. to the student this last week who had just been Christian fired from her camp job because she dared oh, to fun. raise a question about her being a female in ministry. Mm. And then she said, yeah, I got Christian fired where it was along the lines of, well, we just don't know if this is the best use for your talents and gifts. And maybe there's another environment and Jesus still loves you. And it's just, you know, God seems to be calling you to another yeah. path. I mean, in yeah. this moment, give me Elon Musk. I'm not advocating for Elon no, Musk. No, Elon but, Musk is but, such a train wreck. <laughs> but in this moment, it's like, just, just, you know, press the button here if you want to stay or go and just, yeah, and fire sure. somebody. We don't need to do this Christian fake love baloney. If you're going to fire me, just fire me. But yeah, like, so. stop. Yeah, yeah, anyway. So it was the idea of, that that was when the church sort of did away with mysticism because in that moment as the years went by and all of a sudden they were like, ooh, maybe these scientists that we killed, maybe they were right. Maybe they did know what they were Who talking knew? about. Who knew? Maybe we aren't the center of the universe. And and everybody started to turn against the church. The church to kind of overcompensate for that and to regain some trust with civil with like society and the mm-hmm, whatever, mm-hmm. which they are still trying to do um, because they never really fully built that back Yeah, was doing away with mysticism, doing away with the emotional side of it, doing away with the instinctual piece of it because all of a sudden with the enlightenment, it was logic, it was science, it was what could be proved. Mm -hmm, And so that mm -hmm. was when the church turned really heavily to theology and they were like, these are the things that we can prove about God. And suddenly this is all that matters because the last time that we resorted to mysticism and the beauty and and mystery and wonder and power of God and the emotional instinctual response to that, we were proven wrong in a big way and we lost Mm. and we lost a lot. We lost our power. We lost our influence. We lost our whatever. I would argue that was a good thing. I would argue that we shouldn't have had that power and influence in the way that we did. But that's why the church focuses so much on theology and intellectual and logical ideas now is because the last time that they fell back on the mystery of God, mm-hmm. they they lost. I, that's exactly it. And yeah, it and then you combine it with academics and universities and institutions, and and particularly the game that gets played in places like seminaries and churches would For be sure. along the lines of. So I want to influence people's ideas about God. Uh, and so what I'm going to do is I will put some research in play, however reliable that research is right. or is not. And then I'll get hired to be a professor somewhere based on the research that I put in play and my fancy PhD article and, and all of that. And then I start shaping the way that future pastors perceive about these things. And you then argue about all the ways in which everything else is wrong right. and why your way is right. It's, it's why I got laughed out of the room in my first PhD dissertation Mm-hmm. Um, was because I was arguing how everything else was wrong and my PhD was right. And thankfully, it was a non-American institution. It was a different institution that right. saw it differently. And they said, no, just like list some evidence for your argument and then we'll weigh it together yeah. versus the idea of arguing everybody else is wrong. And so we, we have I remember been... being so upset the first time that I took a writing and research class here. Yeah, Because being homeschooled, the way that mom raised us was in that sense where it was list your evidence, we'll talk about it, we'll weigh it. And we'll see what we think. And I remember taking this writing and research class and doing peer reviews and just being like, nobody is making an actual argument. They're all just seeing who can shout the loudest. Mm-hmm. And somehow they're all getting A's in this class. Yeah. 
And I was so mad about it. Yeah, it, it's so frustrating. And compared to where we're going to go now in the, in the Bible and, and the way people perceived of their faith in the biblical times as, as the Bible was being written, certainly the Jewish rabbis had arguments and they loved to discuss who was right and wrong. But they, but they stayed kind of on the same journey. They didn't divide constantly from each other. But even with that... I mean, more or less. But yeah, yeah. More, more or less. But even with that, there was such an emphasis on the lived experience with mm-hmm. God in their midst as a people. Yeah. And uh, as opposed to all of the stuff about uh, trying to decide what is the exact theological position that we're supposed to believe. And so you and I were reading some articles, just a series of different things. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't Was this a passage that was ever familiar to you when I sent you this article with Psalm 4610? Ever the, familiar to you where it says, be still and know that I am God? Yeah. yeah you that, had heard that okay, passage every, before. All right. I'm about to make a generalization. Here we go. Every white American Christian girl that I have known in my life <laughs> has had that as her home screen on her phone at least once. I didn't know that. Is that real? I'm, I'm trying to think of somebody that I have been friends with who has not had that is either their home or their lock screen one at least once or like written in pretty cursive and like taped on the dashboard of her car. Why? Can't think of a single one. What, what would a parent do? I don't remember ever inviting you to do that. I, it was my lock screen for a while. Really? So mm-hmm. why? What, in, is, my, in my youth group is days. It, is it just because of some anxiety and, and nervousness kind of thing or what is it about? I think it is. I, I think it's used more commonly for young women over the like Jeremiah, whatever the Jeremiah verse Jeremiah is. Jeremiah 29 about, like, 11, yeah. Yeah, like yeah, God God's has got plans plan for you, for you yeah. or whatever it is. Yeah, you're going to get a house and a husband and kids and a dog and, and yeah, a job yeah, and a yeah. car and I be safe for a lifetime. That one is used Blah. less in in my generation, particularly with young women. It's more often the be still and know that I am God. I'm not totally sure why that is. I have some suspicions about other things that are taught to young women in the church about how we should be sure that 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 verse lines up that's more like quickly be quiet and pray while we do the yeah work. is that how you like saying? like <laughs> sit down and be quiet and listen to what god says to you about how you should be quiet and yeah. submissive and but just don't teach it no exactly <laughs> because your job is to be quiet right but it like that has been I, I have loved that verse in my life and it and it has been a reminder to me to slow down and mm-hmm, to stop mm-hmm. and and remember. But but even within because that's how it's been taught to me too. And I, and I think in fairness there's some of that in that verse, but as you and I were doing some of the work around it and we're mm-hmm. talking about what this verse means and 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 not just saying hey experience is important but let's stay with intellect and theology let let's right. flip let's actually flip it on its head let let's listen to the words of scripture about mm-hmm. what this invitation to a spiritual life is for all these people that are so done with religion but remain spiritual i just think they have the right impulse where they want to have an ongoing relationship with god and that's Absolutely. actually consistent with scripture and this passage be still and know that i am god I don't know that I fully understood what was in this invitation because for me, it was maddening. I mean, the idea, yeah. basically it was sit down in a chair or sit down on a bench by a lake. Because and just, you're very, and just be very still. good at being still <laughs> and being quiet. <laughs> and so it was a maddening invitation <laughs> because I can't do either one of those things. You were just, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm still th- I'm still laughing about the other day when I was like, I'm almost certain that you have ADHD. Well, you and said so since idea- we've been doing this podcast together, you're like, I never saw how much ADHD. Yeah, it wasn't until I moved out for a year and then came back that I was like, like, oh, 
everything makes sense now. <laughs> and so the idea of you going and like sitting still and oh, silent in a place for gosh. a long period of time. I would need a bottle of Ritalin followed by a bottle of <laughs> scotch in order to actually do this passage according to the way that I think I'm yeah. supposed to. Like seriously, oh, the Ritalin, yeah. just just bring all to equilibrium and the just scotch is seriously just melt me. Like and, a horse and sedative point, or something. <laughs> Like horse <laughs> tranquilizer. It really would need to be that. I mean, at, yeah. the, at that, then I could maybe do Psalm forty six ten if what oh, it, sure. if what it means is that I got to sit still and share somewhere. But then I don't know what to do next because it says and know that I am God. I'm like, huh? Hmm. How do I do that deal? Yeah. And and so there's two words in in the Hebrew that are part of this that I think you and I it was pretty interesting. These were things honestly I didn't know entirely. Right. I knew what no meant. I knew that there was sort of this sexual, intimate, yada is the word in the Hebrew to know. And yeah. we'll talk about that in a bit. Well, and I I, I want to say two things really quickly before we start to get into the Hebrew with this. Yeah. The, the biggest thing to keep in mind, if you're new to getting into Hebrew in the Bible um, or Greek, really in the context of it being related to the Hebrew, like we talked about in right. our last episode. But if the verse seems to have a clear meaning at face value, you have to assume that you're missing something. Yeah, right. Like if you look at that and you're like, yep, I know exactly what that means. Your first instinct should be dig. something's wrong. Yeah, dig. What am I missing? Yeah, for sure. Um, the other thing is that I want to be careful because yes, it it is used in the context of sexual union. Right. When it says that like Adam knew Eve, like that's that's what that is talking about. Yeah. It doesn't have to only be sexual. It's more talking about the idea of the deep, completely open, naked right. and unashamed, naked as a like vulnerable soul, yeah, spiritual way of being, not a physical way of being. Um, sort of openness and intimacy with another person or or being. In this case, God. And, and I have always pictured it in a sort of way. Um, one of my friends sent me something at one point. She and I had been talking about the concept of, um, I think it's Anamkara, which is a Celtic idea and it means soul friend. Mm -hmm. And so we had been talking about that and she sent me a drawing that she had found or, or a piece of art that she had seen at some point where it was two people who were hugging and one of them had a blue soul and one of them had a yellow soul and where they met, it became green. Right. And so for me, I've always had this idea of that, that idea of known is like a merging of souls mm -hmm. in a way. And so it is used in a sexual context, but it's not an inherently sexual Correct. word. Correct. And, and I just it, want to be careful. No, about for, that. of course. And we'll talk more about that. Uh, but yeah, the sexual union is one version of the yeah, kind of knowing sure. that we're talking about. And it actually, we need, I mean, for my sexuality class that I have to teach that I've just learned yeah. so much from these last uh, maybe 14 years of teaching that kind of topic about how my entire idea of sexual union and what's there had to be entirely blown up. And But even this verse does too. And, and maybe b one more comment before we talk a little bit about the first part, be still in what that is. What you just said is so important to allow our ideas about a given verse or a passage or God or faith yeah. or people to be regularly blown up. We, we ran into a great quote from C.S. Lewis this week um, yeah. from, a, from, from his book, a, yeah, A Grief Observed in which uh, he's writing about the loss of his wife and what that mm -hmm. did to his version of God. 
And boy, as one who's had my, my pictures of God shattered by evidence and experience over the course of my life on so many different times, and it's so disorienting yeah. when it happens. What I love about this quote that you're about to read, mm-hmm. that, that also informs our understanding of something like Psalm 46, which then also informs our very Christianity in some ways, is that the journey of our faith is one in which um, things should be shattered over and over and over Absolutely. again. That, that doesn't mean you've been a bad or a good person of faith. It simply means this is what it's like to be in relationship with an inexhaustible God of heaven. We, if your views are not getting shattered regularly, yeah. you might want to think about something at that point. You probably create an idol about a few different views as opposed to actually you know, working through this stuff. So the quote that C.S. Lewis had was great. Well, and I have a quick thing too about that is, is your example that you use in class sometimes when you're like, and you put God in a box and then yep. all of a sudden he's like, whoop. And you're like, oh no. And yeah, then you make another up. box and he's like, whoop. And I was thinking about it and I just thought you might like this example, but I'm putting it on our podcast so that you have to credit me with it <laughs> because other people will hold you accountable now. Right. Um, is it feels a little bit like Daffy Duck trying to hunt Bugs Bunny. Yes. And what does Daffy or Duck? Or no, is no. it Daffy Duck? No, no, no. Daffy it's... Duck is there at one point. Well, not, no, the, the rascally rabbit guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Elmer yeah. Fudd, that's but who it is. I, but you isn't there an episode Wabbit? where they team up? Well, I don't know. And they're probably. hunting bugs together? I'm sure, probably. Something like that. Yeah. But whoever the guy is. The, Elmer Fudd. Elmer Fudd. Yeah. When he's like sticking his head in the rabbit hole and he's like, where is he? And whatever. Yeah. And Bugs is like standing behind him. Yeah, that's like, exactly hmm. it. That's a great picture. That's what it feels like when you're like, I got him this time. And then he like taps you on the shoulder and he's like, hi, how's it going? And you're like, oh, oh no. <laughs> well, and, and so to, to embrace that kind of life and what C.S. Yeah. Lewis, the kind of life he embraced too, it just really is an, it's an easy flip of the switch if you allow yourself to do it. It requires humility to begin with. Totally but does. One, but once you walk in humility, and that's even part of this passage we're going to read, it's an easy uh, switch to flip to just say, so... I don't have to be proof texting God all the time. And, and and my anxiety about who God is or life or faith or people is not dependent on everything that I can say that is true. It's mm-hmm. that I'm pursuing the one who is true. And and once you flip that switch, it, the whole thing just, just takes on an, an entirely different journey. You get to live in mystery as you pursue that which is true, even if you are always at the point of falling short from describing that which is true. Yeah. But gosh, it just, it, anyway, changes it. But this is what C.S. Lewis talks about. Read that quote. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he has, um, my idea of God is not a divine idea. It has to be shattered time after time. He shatters it himself. He is the great iconoclast. Could we not almost say that this shattering is one of the marks of his presence? The incarnation is the supreme example. It leaves all previous ideas of the Messiah in ruins. And And really quick, first of all, I love the word iconoclast. That's a great word. I had to define it for you, yes, you even did. though I knew what it meant. It was something from the Reformation. But it was the idea of destroying sacred images or images of God as a type of heresy, right? And so I I just giggled. Like, it just tickles me when people, like, take things that the church has wrongly used and they're like, this is actually what God is doing. Mm-hmm. Like that, I just, I get a kick out I, of that every well, time. And but so, it's Galileo and Copernicus absolutely. and Kepler again, where it, it, if you are holding power or wielding power, or you have a faith that you feel is really solid and secure, if you're not willing to let God be your iconoclast on a yeah. regular basis, then you're going to, you're going to kill the people around you, even if they have evidence and, and, oh, yeah. uh, and stuff to support their point of view, as opposed to just humbly pursuing God. Yeah. You would then exert power in all of these crazy ways. We see it all the time. But I just I just love the idea that if if iconoclasm is a type of heresy, then by C.S. Lewis's definition, yeah. 
God in the eyes of the church would be a heretic. And I have been thinking about that since you sent me this article. Hmm. And I'm trying to think about like, I I don't remember who I was talking about this with, but I, I remember having a conversation with somebody ages ago and just being like, I think if Jesus came today, I think we would crucify him again. Oh, I, 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 I hear that church often. Yeah, yeah. And, like we wouldn't be able to see it, but the idea that, that God would be the biggest heretic to us mm-hmm. is like, I, I, I don't think that's unreasonable no, to I, say. And I, I think that is, um, well, it's certainly been part of my life. I mean, I, you know, there's, there's been, I, to be iconoclasted by God, I'm not yeah. even sure that that's a word, but, it, but to be iconoclasted by God is not necessarily a pleasant experience. You're, you're having no, it's not. <laughs> your life shattered. I mean, C.S. Lewis had his life shattered by the loss of his wife. And, and we were talking with some people that we know pretty well that had experienced profound loss in their lives as well. And uh, just this last week and... Mm-hmm. And that is, these are life shattering things that happen and they, they change our views and our pictures about who God is and about who the world is. Um, if, if God is actually trustworthy, then in that really vulnerable space where your world has been shattered, the only way play that you play that you can make, the only turn you can make is a turn towards God. If God is ultimately trustworthy and many people don't because they understandably assume their life should be working out a certain kind of way if God is actually good. And, yeah. and their view, uh, it, that view of the world t- to me is so utterly understandable. And yet it's so utterly, utterly mistaken about what's actually going on in the world and who God is. And, and I think many people have to find that out the hard way that God's faithfulness and his trustworthiness isn't necessarily evidenced according to whether the circumstances of our lives are working out the way that they should be. Yeah. And, and yet he's still entirely worth pursuing. And those are really hard things that that I'm sure require more episodes, but, but the starting point in all of this, where it says be still is not for Kapsner to, to take his Ritalin and (laughs) and drink a bottle of Balvini. Um, it's this idea of, uh, how did the author say it that we were reading? There's there's a couple of them that we read, uh, but this word Rafa, um, do I have that right? To Rafa let yourself, in Hebrew? Yeah, to let yourself sink, to let go of your rigidity, to allow yourself to be weak, to throw off all the pretenses of strength and become feeble. Oh gosh, it's read that It's more one, than yeah. being quiet and still, it is complete surrender. Read that one more time. That's super important. So again, this isn't this yeah. isn't a Ritalin defining moment. This is, <laughs> if we're going to be iconoclasted by God here and think about how do I start reframing my relationship with God, I think right here is really interesting. Yeah, and so it, uh, it means to let yourself sink, to let go of your rigidity, to allow yourself to be weak, to throw off all the pretenses of strength and become feeble. It is complete surrender. Hmm. And so the idea, like coupling that with the idea of that intimate soul bonding knowledge of complete openness and vulnerability, where it's like in that moment, if we let go of our pretense, if we let go of our strength, if we let go of our rigidity and our ideas of who we are and what we want and all of that and allow ourselves to become feeble, then that soul bonding can happen and and we can know God. And again, this isn't a, this isn't a secondary invitation. This is the invitation, but mm-hmm. 
this is this goes back to how we think about God or what we've been taught about God um, really matters because you know what I'm not going to do if I'm a, if I'm in the hands of a perpetually tyrannical, right. despotic, cosmic blood sucking being in the Ooh. sky. I, parasitical. I, yeah, I'm parasitical. I what I'm not going to do is be willing to be vulnerable or Absolutely. to surrender or to give towards. And so, the mistaken teachings about what God has been up to. And in terms of demanding blood or some sacrifice so that his glory can be magnified or his anger can be assuaged. It's why it's so it's why I'm excited about next week when we are in a couple of weeks, whenever we start the episodes in the garden of delight that God created yeah. in Genesis one, two and three, when Rabbi Allen uh, walked us through some of that stuff, maybe even 10 years ago at this point, it was, yeah. it was iconoclastic. It blew my mind. I thought I, I, totally had, did. I had no idea what was going on. In and I think Genesis we spent an hour on the first verse oh, of Genesis gosh, one. For, for sure we did. And, and and none of it made sense. It was not some origin no. <laughs> story to teach us, you know, scientifically how God did. It was yeah. entirely different, but it's that I just don't think you can understand what God has been up to all throughout the Old and New Testament if you don't understand the Garden of Delight operating in love that He created in the beginning. And so, but if you know that, then to be still and to surrender, to yield, it isn't just a one-time thing. It just becomes sort of an ongoing. Uh, yeah. Now, now I do want this on my screen. I do want this on my my wallpaper on my phone, or maybe tape it in my steering wheel. I do need to remember on an ongoing basis that. You know, the only invitation that I'm going to have to a life that has any kind of wholeness in it, um, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, within just the always the 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 crazy circumstances all around us, is if I can just once again trust or throw myself and surrender um, at this God. But uh, I hope that God is trustworthy and yeah. and all the ways people have again. This is part of why when pastors fall from grace and abuse happens and people have used power inappropriately. People have humongous misperceptions, understandably, sure. about who this God is. Yeah, and and I have a quick thing that I haven't cleared with you, so surprise. Uh-oh. Um, but this idea of being still, becoming feeble, being vulnerable, being open, allowing yourself to be weak and to be dependent on God in order to know Him. We have talked a little bit outside of the podcast, I think, about things coming full circle mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. in the Bible, which... They do all the time, which is so fun when you like get to something and you're like, oh, that's a completion of this moment that happened ages and ages and ages ago Right. that they messed up the first time. And now we get the true what it was supposed to be resolution of it the second time. I understood this retranslation of be still and know that I am God as going all the way back to guess what? Genesis, because everything goes back to Genesis. <laughs> And very specifically, Genesis 4 and 5 in chapter 3, where it says, Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so much of the struggle, particularly of the Old Testament, is of people wanting to be like God, wanting to be the gods of their own lives, not wanting to submit, not wanting to be feeble, not wanting to whatever. And that is where we have moved away from Genesis 1 and 2, from the beauty and the and the wholeness and the relationship with God of Genesis 1 and 2, um, is, is in Genesis 3, is in our desire to be our own gods. Mm-hmm. And so the idea that all of a sudden that this verse, be still and know that I am God, is not actually just sit down, be quiet, and remember that you're not the biggest thing in the universe. It's actually a call and an invitation 
to go back to the Genesis 1 and 2 way of life. And, and it's part, it's, it's, so, it's uh, asking you it's, to return to the garden of delight. Yeah. It, it is. It's, you're so right about that. And it's also why when we read Jesus's first words in Matthew, when he's teaching the Jewish people in the book of Matthew, the audience of that book, when he first opens his mouth, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit or blessed are the feeble. Blessed are those they know that know they don't have what it takes for to them, the kingdom of God begins to unfold. Like yeah. it, it has to start with that place. And we want to be real clear that when we're talking about feebleness or these sorts of words, we're not talking about that weird false Christian humility that feels like you have to point at the sky every time you score a touchdown. Or, I hate that so You know, much. all of that. The, the, the meekness or the feebleness is that you don't lose any of the power with which you've been created. It now is just power that is moldable and shapeable yeah. in the hands of the master. It, it, it isn't, woe is me, I've got nothing. It is you actually on your own don't have the, the capability to, to handle life and relationships and complexity in the spiritual realm and all of that kind of stuff. You do have a lot of power, but you need guidance and you need help and you need wisdom and you need those sorts of things or else you're just not going to be able to make it. But this isn't some weird like doormatty Christianity where people don't have yeah. power. It's, it's power under control. And when you do that, you then, the second part of this voice, be still, or verse, be still and know you actually begin to know in the ways that you so beautifully described earlier, this intimate kind of knowledge of the ways of God and the ways of the kingdom that really do provide a strength and a substance and a courage in, in the midst of the difficulty of life. I, it's what we were reading from Unapologetic a couple of episodes ago when he it talks was. about the like terrifying ordeal of being seen by God. Oh, buddy. Like that's, sure. that's what it is. That's what this verse is calling us back to. It, it is. And, um, Part of what we'll talk about in the future episodes about that garden is when it says that uh, the man and the woman were naked and unashamed at yeah. the end of, of chapter two, it does say that they were fully open and vulnerable to God and to one another, and they could see the way forward in their life with the wisdom of God as they were connected to him. And and what a beautiful invitation. And, and, and again, the point of that is I just, I think about people that I've known and there haven't been too many, unfortunately, but maybe you can name some too. Hmm. People that I've known that have lived this iconoclasted, flipped over, 180 degree turn relationship yeah. with God, where their ongoing experience with God was not seen as this junior varsity moment. It was actually this vibrant I can think thing of one. going on in their life. And when I can think of a few, and when those people are in the room, something about the, even the very atmosphere of the room changes. There, there's a steadiness. There is mm -hmm. a, there's a hopefulness. There's a lightness that somehow comes into the room with those kind of people. And on the flip side, do you have any idea how many halls of academia I've been in yeah. with people who are far more theologically astute in, in the sense of what gets valued theologically? And I'm trying, I know my theology. Oh, for sure. But, but they would, I don't, <laughs> they, they would be really theological. And I just, I'm sorry. I know the history of the theological inquiry. I'm not saying mm -hmm. that I buy it all. I just know what people have talked about over Absolutely. time. Absolutely. And some of the most hollow, vacant, pompous, empty, diminished, small people, f uh, afraid people, yeah. people that just, they, they might have outside looking in all of this supposed authority, but you get in the room and it is some of the least impressive rooms that I've ever been in, in the sense that there is just sort of a steadiness in character and virtue. And then some people have combined the two. Yeah. And they really have, as you've said, this beautiful awareness of the long theological history of our faith and scriptures and all of that. And yet 
they have wedded that with this experiential journey with God. Yeah. Oh man, those people, you it's honestly, stunning. you can't, you can't cow tip them over in any circumstance. <laughs> you just can't. There, there's Ever. some, but, but there are surrendered people who then pursue theology and God and character and development and love and all of these things with all of their might. And my gosh, do they become crazy steady people? Yeah. But they're, but they're shockingly few and far beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of to take us into one of our last things before we start to wrap up this episode. Right. One of the things that we talked a little bit about earlier, just before um, pushing record on this, because this time I pushed record, so I knew when we were recording you this did. time. You did. I know. I like to record um, you when you don't know. Yeah, that's true. Which I will keep reminding you is a felony, but... Um, <laughs> that seems okay. a little aggressive. I don't know. I think it is like a punishable crime to record uh, somebody without consent. Well, that's... Well, well, you know, we'll have to look that up. We'll find some statute yeah, on that. Something like I've that. I've never... I've, I probably had some misdemeanors in my life. I don't think I've had I'm any sure felonies. You have. Yeah. I guess I don't um, even know what those things are, but... Felony? Yeah. I'm, I'm, you I'm, probably should know. I'm sure I haven't been felonized, but I bet I've had... I don't is know. a speeding ticket a misdemeanor? Seems like. Because I drive by grace, baby. I mean... I, you do. I, I do. It is terrifying <laughs> a new in the testament, car with you. Definitely a New um, Testament driver. Yeah. But um, I think part of what we've talked about is that so much of at least my understanding of God has not come from theological ideas about God. Mm -hmm. It has come from reading scripture as a whole, not as independent verses and, and seeing from there the trends of the character of God, especially when I'm operating under the assumption that God is a God of love who seeks relationship and wholeness with us. Right. So we do want to start talking about, specifically Genesis 1, 2, and 3, because that kind of forms our whole understanding of the rest of the Bible is, is if you have a sort of solid grasp on those first three chapters. Mm-hmm. And those first three chapters form so much of my understanding of, of God and of the nature of God and of the character of God. But one verse in particular that I really wanted to talk about, because I'm, uh, here I go, ripping a verse out of context. So fun. But Exodus 3... 15, 14, something like that. One of those. This is burning bush. It's burning bush. Right. And it's when Moses asks, who shall I say sent me? Right. Mm -hmm. This is the first time that God fully reveals something new, unusual and unique and and, and fairly expansive about who God is. Which first of all is both a beautiful and a heartbreaking moment that Moses has to ask that Mm -hmm. because they've had what, 400 years in Egypt. Generations have... Come, like it, it has been generations since the Israelites have known God mm-hmm. and all they have known are the gods of Egypt. Right. And, and it talks about this kind of wordless, desperate heart cry to God out of their pain and suffering, but they don't even really know what they're crying to or why. Yeah. That statement that it says in, in Exodus before this, yeah. where it says that the people are crying out, but it doesn't say they even know who or where or how to cry out. I, Anna, I just think that's so reflective, yeah. not just of your generation, but but I do think that your generation specifically, as I've been teaching now these last, out of the last 20 years that I've been teaching, the last five in particular, I would say that the characteristic of the room is a collective crying out. But because of the lack of shepherds in, in our lives these last two or three generations, yeah. Um, there's a crying out without any awareness of for what or for whom. But I'm increasingly finding in my generation too, people are crying out. Yeah, uh, and just I trying love to the survive word, today. Um, keening in that, I I've always found that to be a particularly mm. compelling word in the idea of this wordless, high pitched, almost musical kind of mourning 
that just is so instinctual and gut-wrenching that it it almost compels you to join in. Yeah. Kind of right, cry. Right. And and it is so collective these days. So yeah. Moses has been exiled into the wilderness. He thinks his life is just going to be the shepherd moving forward. This bush starts burning next to him, which has so much theological interest and significance to it. And and, and now God reveals, Moses says, so who are you? Who shall I say is sending me? And he God reveals this. The right? fact that he doesn't even know who God is mm-hmm. after all of that is so like heart wrenching in, in all of this. But the answer that God gives him, and, and I have yet to see a translation phrase it this way. Um, I will see I am mm-hmm. or that which I am or all of that variations of that, right? Right. But the one that Rabbi Allen gave us in the context of the original Hebrew is I was and will be what I was and will be, which is the essence of God in the sense that it is his so much bigger and far more incomprehensible than we can even like, we can't comprehend how incomprehensible God is Mm -hmm. like that. That is the magnitude of this sort of thing. And so the idea that, his name, who he is fundamentally, what he tells Moses is a verb. And it is this outside of time, always fluid, always dynamic, changing, alive mm-hmm. thing. Dynamically being. present. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so so the idea, and, and I said this to you also before we started recording, I was like, the idea that we could boil God down to a set of airtight logical ideas is not only a little bit laughable, but incredibly arrogant. And I think theology is so important. And and I think bad theology is incredibly dangerous mm-hmm. for sure. But I don't think that we can stop at theology. No, and that's why we're. That's the whole point. I know that I'm sure people listening have are starting to to hear what I hope is the point that we're trying to make is is, is again not just accounting for experience of God in our lives, but but flipping this whole thing around so that our journeys are actually defined and and yeah. and starting with and going there. But but again, a lot of people. Another besides the 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 theological stuff, I would say a lot of the reason why people don't often experience this, understandably so, and myself included, is the unwillingness to take. I mean, we threw around some words earlier: surrender, trust, feeble. Like mm-hmm. But to surrender and trust, like if you just take that to the brass tacks and the raw honesty of it. Very few people, myself included, are super not anxious to do those words. Surrender and trust just cuts against the grain of not only the theological issues we face from Genesis 3, which is I can be like God, but then it cuts against the grain of all of American culture in which we're taught to increasingly realize your power and realize what you're good for and realize and realize. And and self-realization, self-actualization are just the waters that we swim in. And so words like trust and surrender are so counterintuitive to anything that we'd want to do. But if we don't do them, we're just going to be subject to primarily a pretty hollowed out life. And even as, even if we decide to stay as named Christians, our lives will never actually know in this intimate kind of way, uh, that, that we've been describing. 
um, yeah. who this God is. And I love that you brought up that God is a verb. That again, we've, we've previewed a few yeah. things like that, but just understanding that God and that human beings are verbs and not nouns. Yeah. When we make those 10 silly statements about who God is, we just noun God. We just, we, we, we noun God and he's not a moving dynamic mm-hmm. present being any longer. We just nouned him and well, we got you in that box. And, and that's yeah. why that's so problematic. But And about the time stuff, I would just so aggressively recommend Doctor Who. That yes. I, I haven't, okay, I haven't seen the original Doctor Who. Maybe someday I will get to it. Uh, I, I saw one episode. I didn't like it at all. Okay. Good for you. Yeah. I I <laughs> probably will go back and watch it just at some point in my life because I feel like I have to. But I love New Who and and it is so good, so beautiful. Um, the yeah, just deeply in love with it through about season nine or okay. so. Sure. Um, but if you want to get a concept of like the beginning of what time might be like for a being who does not exist within the rules of time. I would recommend Doctor Who. Yeah, it, it, they do so many good paradoxes yeah. that about this dynamic, ever-present God. Is your point? It, it's yeah. just that, that they we get little pictures of it and what that, that show. might even yes. look like. And I remember sitting in in rooms in Bible studies, and and watching people try to wrap their head around the idea of what it would be like to exist outside of time, and having watched nine seasons of Doctor Who several times through, mm-hmm. I was like, "Yep." Tick, moving on, next concept. I was like, I got it. I, yeah. I know this one. So I would recommend Doctor Who for that. I love that. It's great. I love Breaking that. all of your preconceived ideas about time. I love that. Well, so maybe let's wrap up this way. You and I talked a little bit about yeah. experiences that we've had of God um, that probably have marked our lives in, in ways that more so than than the statements or the creeds or the confessions or the theologies that we know, maybe just one each or something. But, but I've been thinking about that passage again, be still and know that I'm God. Uh, this person, Leon Broder, I don't know, somebody online, I have no idea who this person is. You just, Bloder, yeah, you just, yeah, you know, you master. Google stuff and you assume it's it's <laughs> reliable. Oh, yeah. But who knows? Because the um, internet never lies. No, but I love the paraphrase of this part of it because it represents a time where it was really tough to me, for me to go to that place of feebleness and surrender and trust. Um, He writes this, this is his paraphrase of Psalm 46. He says, allow yourself to become completely weak and feeble, letting go of your need to control and your messed up ideas about how strong you are. Hmm. And what you will discover is an intimate, up close understanding of God that you would have never experienced otherwise. Like I think this and the C.S. Lewis iconoclast quote would be good ones to put out on. You said it's Instagram you have, right? Yeah, That's that social media sure thing. Is. So allow yourself to become. I might com- expand it. Uh, Facebook, I refuse on moral grounds to, to expand to Twitter yeah. or TikTok, yeah, I get but, you. but Twitter as well. So allow yourself to become completely weak and feeble, letting go of your need to control and your messed up ideas about how strong you are. And what you will discover is an intimate, up-close understanding of God that you would have never experienced otherwise. And I'll mm. tell maybe the longer story at a different time about when I was living such a um, power intoxicated life as a pastor in a mega church and, and the thousands on the weekend and, and all yeah. of what that was like. But in the midst of all of that, God took me on a very specific journey in through the valleys of the shadows of, of death. And this is when you were probably, uh, you were maybe three years old at that time. So I, I was diagnosed after a series of tests with having, uh, I think it was the age 34 or 35 maybe, mm-hmm. uh, with Lou Gehrig's disease, uh, with a terminal illness. 
And long story short, uh, I just remember how awful and terrifying and sad and broken and just everything. I mean, I, I remember thinking I would not be there for you and your brother at that time and, uh, and started to read Lord of the Rings into a video camera so that you would have mm-hmm. your dad reading those books to you after I had long passed and just facing your, your own mortality. Yeah. Um, there, again, there's, there's way more in that story, but I remember one specific night, uh, in which I was just lying in bed and, and, uh, I couldn't come to terms with it. I couldn't come to grips with it. It was, um, it was too much to face. And, and I remember, um, just, you know, in prayer and, and, and saying things like, you know, God, I can't face this. You have to, and I was found myself using the language that Jesus used in the garden of Gethsemane when he was saying, let this cup pass from me, let this cup pass from me. And I just kept saying it and saying mm-hmm. it and saying it. And I'm like, I can't do it. I can't face this thing. And, uh, and that still small voice of God that could only intersect my life if God was actually real yeah. And God was capable of having an intimate, up-close understanding of who he is. Like in those moments, I didn't need Bible verses quoted to me. Um, I didn't need a theological statement about what happens after we mm-hmm. die. Like you all didn't those need things, to know that God has a plan for you. Oh, gosh. And, and, and all in, well, other than the last one, but all, all of those <laughs> things might be true theologically, and I think they are. Yeah. But that's not what I needed. I needed something else. I needed the comfort of, of an actual being who can actually, in mysterious though real ways from the unseen realm, interact with us in a way that there is a knowledge that transcends our ability to communicate it, to capture it, to all of those sorts of things. It really is that place of mystery. And as I was praying that night and just saying, let this cup pass for me, that that nearness of God sort of, I, I think it evoked something in my mind, some words in my mind that said, yeah, you know, I've been in that garden too, Peter. And that the God of all comfort would be there in the pain and the sorrow each step of the way. Um, and, and is utterly faithful, not because I wasn't going to have to, to walk out the journey of ALS and all the horror that it was, um, but he was utterly faithful because he would, he would be with me each step of the way in those dark valleys. And it's something that I've been, and now I, I ultimately it turned out to be a false diagnosis after a series of months. And I still yeah. have the, the, you know, physical symptoms and all that to this day. It's still, whatever it is, it's not ALS. And, uh, cause I'm not, it's not degenerative, but it's something to which I can return because I'm so quick to get filled with my own power again. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, it happens so fa- fast, uh, on that. But, but I returned to that moment over and over again and had to say yes to that surrender place and trust uh, and it's only in those places that I've ever experienced any measure of relief from the anxiety that is the the world in which we live and, and the stuff that keeps me up at night. So that's one experience among probably, you know, dozens and dozens. But that, that one strikes me always uh, when I hear this kind of passage about, yeah. you know what, and stop trying to pretend you have everything together. Just to stop, stop being such a fraud, you knucklehead. Yeah. And yep. because you don't have it together, nobody does. And so the invitation is not to pretend you have it together. It's just to surrender and trust. But boy, that's hard work. So that's mine. I don't know which one you have as we wrap things up here. Yeah. I mean, mine is definitely on a way smaller scale than that. But I, I think I realized a couple of years ago uh, when exactly when actually my relationship with God began that I had been saying for years that I had a relationship with God or that I knew God and I didn't. You're so fake. Um, yeah, well, okay. I mean, I'm your kid, so <laughs> the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, I guess. Wow. Um, Touche. Thank you. Um, but the, 
the thing that I kind of realized in the aftermath of the first like real encounter that I had with God um, was that I had spent the entirety of my life not turning toward God in that complete vulnerability or in that complete openness Mm -hmm. because I was so afraid of being rejected. That's a huge thing. Right? That I would, I would rather have not known whether or not God was real than, and, and continue to not have a relationship with him then turn to him and find out that he didn't want that with me. Oh, buddy. Yeah, that's a huge deal. What did you find? What did you ultimately do? Uh, I I found probably the like worst and most scary thing, which is that it is real <laughs> and he does want that relationship <laughs> with me. And uh, like I, I even ran into it the other day where there was a kind of big future decision that I am having to make that's that – despite my best efforts is not going away and mm-hmm. is only coming closer to when I have to make that decision. And and I have been avoiding thinking about that in the context of my relationship with God, because it is so much easier to just intellectualize and like practical logic my way through to a decision yeah. rather than like talk to God about it. Cause this whole thing is still pretty new to me and I, and I'm still not always convinced that like, when I turn to God, something will be there. Hey man, I'm f- turning 52 in two days and I'm not always yeah, persuaded either. For sure. And so, but like I kind of had a moment in passing the other day where I was like, I should probably pray about this and I'm probably not going to get a lot of clarity about this until I have that conversation with God. And then just kind of very briefly, like in the car, on one of my many long drives to school was like, hey, I don't know. I'm just kind of thinking about this. I don't know if there's a right decision here, but like whatever. And just kind of thought about beginning that conversation Mm -hmm. and then went back to listening to the new Taylor Swift album because I was like, "Hmm, I don't want to think about that right now. (laughs) Um, But in that moment of like me not even really – engaging or or not even really fully reaching out i have had some settledness and some clarity about this decision that has been facing me and and all it took was the beginning of a thought of maybe starting the conversation Hmm. and god was like i'm right here yeah right right i but i you know you, you say that that's a smaller scale but it's not i mean that it is it's still the God of the universe. It still is, is that invitation. And, yeah. and I think I, I'm in trying to flip this whole thing on its head as a corrective for some of the ways in which we've been as a church and as a people and, and inviting people into an actual ongoing relationship with God, it does open up a whole new series of questions. You know, how, wh- what do we do in those times when God stays absent from our ability yeah. in our finite ways to experience God? Like when it just, we, we want that experience of comfort, joy, um, wisdom, peace, that kind of thing, but, but it is fleeting or not present. What do we do with that? Yeah. Um, how do we understand things on our own? And it's not just the pizza we ate. Do we need community around us? Like all of that kind of <laughs> yeah. stuff really matters. But the reason why I say that's not smaller scale is I think when that, when God's experiential reality crosses our heart in certain ways, I, it leaves a mark. Mm-hmm. And, it totally does. And, 
it, they're marks that, again, I too often cover up and forget about and I'm so quick to to be in that place of I'm crying out and I don't even know what I'm crying out for anymore because I forgot who God is. But those marks, once they start getting like left on you and, and they're deepened, I do think that you start to be on the kind of road of what we described of people who, when they're in the room, they may not have the most charisma or the most, you know, the most social, political, financial power, right. but what they're not is they're not hollowed out. Um, and that goes back to some people that I, I talked to recently in some of my travels that I've known, just mm. some anonymous people living unbelievable, courageous lives in which yeah. there's no chance charisma would get them through their days with the suffering and the difficulty in which they have, have had to walk. And yet the courage and strength that they demonstrated in, in the midst of all of it was, was truly otherworldly. And I thought, that's what I want to be. I don't want all these trappings yeah. of these illusions and, and this falsity that just leaves me kind of scrambling from one amusement to the next. Uh, something of substance would be really nice along yeah, the way. I just, I just sure. hate, I just hate that the invitation the Bible gives us to that kind of substance is you got to give it up. Stop, stop yeah. playing, playing games. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Absolutely. <sighs> Drives me wild. Yeah. Nope. And, and I think one thing that I always really struggled with within the church was, uh, I, I have had to reevaluate things that I've heard in the church from people. You've been iconoclastic. Be like, I, I have. All the time. Um, but not about my idea of God more recently, but more about my idea of, of the church. Sure. Um, just in the sense that I'm like, I I wonder how many of these people were really, really genuine when they were saying these things. And, and one of them is the idea of like that we don't deserve the relationship with God that we have. Hmm. And, and I think the, th- the thing that I would say that I really, I... I have disagreed and I do continue to disagree strongly with the church on this is like because of the fact that we are depraved, sinful, horrendous people who all deserve to go to hell. And it's only because of the wonderful nature of God that we don't. Right. And <laughs> well, I'm you like, might be, but, as, but a Cal- as a Calvinist, um, you are, I'm not, I just, I absolutely. happen to be just not a Calvinist. Okay. Oy. Oy. Um, <laughs> but, um, I had a guy that I was like a little bit interested in at one point. And then he was like, Hey, I've been reading about Calvinism and I think it's actually pretty great. And I was like, we're done here. You're, and I, you're and predestined I told, to marry him I told, and be I his quiet, submissive wife. It, and she was like, nah, you're done. I was like, no, we're out. Um, but anyways, um, I, I had a conversation with a dear, a, a dear long-term friend of mine at, at one point, a couple of days ago, Um, it was not a couple of days ago. It was several weeks ago, but I have no concept of time anymore where I just, I, I came to her and I was like, I have realized that throughout high school, I was a hot mess, which everybody was in high school. And you'll realize that by the time you hit 20 and you're like, Oh, I know nothing. And I was a disaster. And I apologize for the person that I was because wow, yikes. But I, I came to her and I was like, I apologize for the person that I was in high school because wow, yikes. And I realized that friendships, friend groups, and relationships came and went for me throughout high school in some smaller, quieter ways and in some big, loud, dramatic ways. And she was a constant friend to me through all of that. Mm -hmm. But the thing that I said to her was I was like, you were my friend even when I wasn't your friend. And there was never a time when we were on bad terms with each other or when we weren't friends but there were times when I significantly neglected our relationship in favor of people who really did not care about me at all. 
And, and I came back to her just just a few weeks ago, several years after graduating. And I was like, I, first of all, I love you so much. And thank you for standing with me through all of that. And I'm so sorry that I have not appreciated this friendship mm-hmm. as much as I should have for as long as I should have. And that is the relationship that I have had with God where I'm like, I have not been mm-hmm. <laughs> as good of a friend to you as you have been to me. Well, that's interesting. And and because of that, I don't feel like I deserve this relationship mm. because you have been there and and you have been there consistently, consistently and you have loved me so much and so unconditionally and I have been a hot mess <laughs> and I have traded you for mm. other things. And so I'm forced to reconsider horrifically the idea that maybe my youth pastor who was standing on the stage telling me that part of being in relationship with God is feeling guilty about being in relationship with God, <laughs> that that maybe they weren't full of it. Yeah. Maybe they did mean that, but maybe it's not a guilt about like, because I'm a terrible person and I don't deserve this and you secretly hate me. <laughs> right. Maybe it's about... Oh, I can never love you the way you love me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And being so humbled by that. Yeah, I think that's so beautifully said. Um, and I think because there's time, I mean, we've talked so much about surrender and, and humility and being humbled in this episode. And I can think of those times, um, and you, you've outlined it beautifully, that I think I actually even a- have to ask yeah. to be humbled. Yeah, I can't, I can't do it myself. And so yeah. that's even scarier. But um, to say, you know, God, I actually can't do what you've invited me to do, which is to humble myself. Will you humble me so that <laughs> therefore I can humble myself? Yeah. But what I think you've said that people, uh, among the many things that reframes our ideas about who God is and, and iconoclasts those ideas, yeah. um, is that if God is going to humble us, it is out of that place of incredible delight and love for Absolutely. us that he moves towards us. And so uh, we, we so often think, because I think so many of us have been inappropriately and disorderedly humbled by inappropriate power in this world, yeah. that people use their power against us and, and squash us down to impose that picture upon God when we ask to be humbled. Absolutely. Um, it's, such, it, it's the very understandable mistake. It's not God just, turning around and listing all the ways that we're inadequate. That's, that's exactly not what right. we're asking for when we ask to be not humbled. At all. That's not at all. It's it, the kind of humbling that God does is the kind of humbling that is exactly what just happened to you, where you end up in tears and, yeah. and you end up in um, grateful sadness. Um, yeah. And, and the whole, and, but not afraid. Where I was actively running away from having this conversation about this important decision in my life. Like I pulled a full Jonah and was like, we are just going to be in denial about this until something else happens. Until I get swallowed by a fish, I'm just simply not going to think about this. And God was like, hey, I'm right here. Yeah. And, And here is some settledness and here is some peace and here is the beginnings of an answer to your question even though you couldn't even, hmm. not only could you not bring yourself to ask for it, you were actively running away from it 
but here I am meeting you anyways. Yeah. But, but that invitation is all found, as, as we said, as maybe we wrap some things up here in Genesis 1 and 2 and 3. Absolutely. That, that is why the man and the woman, before they decided to bite of that fruit and, and ingest the idea that they could be like God, that's why they lived a naked and unashamed life. They could be fully open and vulnerable to God and to one another because they knew God had their back. They knew God was with them. They knew God was yeah. for them. All of those things. And, and so, I don't know. I it's such an interesting journey to, to let our ideas about God get reshaped. And, and even I, it's what's hard about it is I'm aware that even as we're doing a podcast today that I think we're faithfully articulating what seems to be true about the text, I hope so. but we could probably come back 10 years from now and say, Oh, we missed that and missed that and missed that. Yeah. That doesn't change God's faithfulness in the least. It just cha- it, it actually can be a humbling invitation to not just take one box that we're iconoclasting today and change it for another box. Um, yeah. Where I, yeah, so I, I'm cu- I'm curious where the the next few episodes go. We do yeah. hope Rabbi Allen will join us this weekend. Um, I hope that I have at least a thousand calories of a Manny's brownie in me. <laughs> um, yes. What I'm not as gonna, God intended. As God intended. What I'm not going to do is take a bottle of Ritalin and drink a bottle of Scotch to be still. No. Um, should I just read this quote one more time about yeah, what go for Psalm forty six ten? As we can wrap it up here. Yeah, yeah. Allow yourself to become completely weak and feeble, letting go of your need to control and your messed up ideas about how strong you are. And what you will discover is an intimate, up-close understanding of God that you would have never experienced uh, otherwise. And I think I just had about 14 biblical characters from the Gospels cross my mind mm-hmm. about those people who found themselves in intimate relationship with God, not the least of which was his closest friend, Peter, is like, yep, don't know the guy. And, <laughs> uh, and, and who Jesus was to him was, was fabulous. Oh, so there's so much, so much to talk about. It was a fun episode talking about this stuff with yeah. you. Yeah, yeah, it was really good. You want good. to sign us off today? Sure. All right. This has been... The Deeper Magic Podcast, which you can find us on Instagram now under Deeper Magic <laughs> social Podcast. Media, social There's media, no right? the, even though I keep saying if the. I, can I create an account and go like the podcast or is that like please nepotism? Don't, please or don't is get it? Instagram. I, I think it might be nepotism. <laughs> okay, I don't know. I don't know. I would post like a madman with the ADHD. You would. It would be brilliant. I'm going to get Instagram between now and next week. <laughs> you would have three followers. You would follow over a thousand people and would. you would post Every five minutes. Um, my goal, my New Year's resolution oh no. early is it, by the end of 2023 to have please. at least double figures and followers on please. Instagram. Please Ten. don't get Instagram. Follow please. me on Instagram. I'm building I'm building my you. new Christendom kingdom. begging you not to get I'm Instagram. I'm only doing this podcast. As leveraging, your daughter, I implore you. I am leveraging the kingdom for my <laughs> for personal gain. For my Christmas gain. present. Yes. <laughs> I ask nothing else except that you do not get an Instagram. Happy birthday to me. Okay. Well, you can find me on Instagram at Deeper Magic Podcast. Um, And I am Anna and this is my father, Peter. And thank you guys for listening. Talk to you soon. Deeper Magic is produced by Audio on the Rocks, and our music for this episode is Auroras of Saturn by Music L Files. You can head on over to filmmusic.io and find that there, all licensed under Creative Commons 4.0, viewable on the site as well. 